If you've been listening for a while, you know that I love to work out and do yoga. With that, though, comes sore muscles and some aches and pains. That's why I'm excited to partner with Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA, is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, and it's also great for sleep and anxiety. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. Tanasi is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Did you know that 97% of women don't get enough vitamin D from their diet? Yes, facts. That's where today's partner, Ritual, comes in. Spring in Chicago can be cold and cloudy, and I haven't seen the sun for a few weeks. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. It's a clinically backed multivitamin for women 18 plus with high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking your multis actually enjoyable. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Visit ritual.com slash sober mom for 25% off. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne, of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, welcome back to the Sober Mom Life Podcast. I'm so glad you came back. Happy Monday. Okay, you guys, I'm very excited about this episode. We have the dream team. We have the Sober October dream team. So I'm so excited that we did this collab episode. So it's with Jillian Teets of Sober Powered, which you guys know she has been on my podcast before. All of these lovely ladies have been on my podcast before. Casey Davidson of the Hello Someday podcast and Amanda E. White of Therapy for Women and the Recovered-ish podcast. We all sit down and talk about Sober October and we give our tips. We give our personal experiences. If we've ever tried it, how it went. We give some drinking stories. You know what I loved about this episode? And just about sitting down with like three badass sober women 
I think, and I'm biased, sure, but I think that we show that sobriety is not boring and like we bring levity to it. This doesn't have to be this like stuffy topic. Um, we make fun of ourselves when we were drinking and we we tell silly stories, but then we also give really, really good advice. Um, I'm talking mostly about the women. <laughs> who joined me. I think that you will get a lot out of this, whether you're just embarking on your sobriety journey and doing a Sober October, or if you just tune into this podcast to kind of help you in your sobriety journey. I know we hate the word journey, but you guys, I'm going to use it. Okay. It's a journey. Also, I want to point out, I did hear from some of you that we had an ad on here that was kind of an automated ad. Sometimes when the ads that I talk, when you hear my voice and when you hear my voice reading an ad, if I kind of fulfill what the sponsor wants, then Megaphone, which is how I record my podcast and and kind of the hosting, whatever. I don't know, you guys. It's all of the behind the scenes stuff that's really boring. But they slip in some ads in that spot. And so while we have, and I'm a part of the Sober Powered Network, and Jill is is my fearless leader, and she is helping me with all of that. And she does a very good job. And we have said, you know, we don't want any ads with obviously alcohol and tobacco, gambling, like we can say that we don't want any of those ads. Somehow this one kind of slipped in because it wasn't just for alcohol, but it did mention alcohol. And so Jill was on it and we got it taken down. And so if you did hear that ad, please know that we have taken care of it and that this will remain that safe space. We don't want any of that bullshit right? That's, we don't have time for that. It's not that kind of party. So thank you. Thank you for alerting us and letting us know so we could remove it. Thank you, Jill, for doing that. And yes, before I sign off and let you enjoy this episode, just a reminder to follow the podcast, rate and review it if you love it. And then also come and join the Sober Mom Life Cafe. It's $15 a month and you get so much. You get, oh, you get Zoom meetings, you get connection, you get Discord community, you get bonus podcast episodes, you get to connect with me, all of it, you guys. So come and join us. And it's time for me to stop talking. And I hope you enjoy this Sober October roundtable with some very badass women. Happy Sober October, everybody. I'm really excited that we're doing this collab. Um, so welcome to Suzanne, Amanda, and Casey. Thank you guys for doing this with me today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Me too. Yay. This is so fun. I'm so happy. I'm excited. And Suzanne did not get the memo. <laughs> uh, we are all... <laughs> We have all chosen to wear black tank tops. <laughs> it feels like it feels like there was a group text that I was out of. I'm not gonna lie. My, the fifth grade in me is coming up, and I'm, I'm I have to remind myself I'm not in fifth grade anymore. <laughs> On the other hand, you are a style influencer, so I feel like you're yes. right in line. Okay. Yes. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Yeah, none of us do that. <laughs> remotely <laughs> I'll speak for myself I'm like in pajamas half the time when I'm like showing my face on Instagram I mean kind of same though like same. it's 8 a.m. here so from the waist down I'm literally in yoga pants and booties so you know yeah you get the award for like earliest wake it's up Saturday morning at 8 so I really yes. really like you guys 
<laughs> we're honored yeah um so i thought for anyone that doesn't know all four of us we could just do a quick introduction um so amanda do you want to yeah so i'm amanda white you might know me on instagram as therapy for women and my podcast is recovered ish and i also wrote a book called not drinking tonight i am a licensed therapist and I've been on everyone's podcast. So if you haven't, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't, I mean, I feel like we've all been on it. Like yeah. mine just started, but um, yeah, you could listen to those episodes too. <laughs> I actually just recently celebrated <laughs> nine years sober. Um, That's amazing. Thank you. So I was 24 when I stopped drinking. Um, the significance also is like it was the it was like the Monday after Labor Day or the mm. Tuesday after Labor Day that I stopped drinking because oh, I had yeah. a particularly rough Labor Day. And the big I mean, I've had a lot of um, worse um you know, rock bottoms, I would say, but that particular one, I was a yoga teacher at the time. I woke up at 6am that Tuesday to teach yoga. I was completely drunk. I don't remember teaching yoga. And that was a really big wake up call for me because I had never done anything like that before. I was really into being like a cool yoga teacher that like went out and would like make drinking jokes in class. And the other um, ridiculous thing about it is I was actually in grad school to become a therapist. So I also worked in a rehab at the time and thought that I was so different than everyone I worked with, which was not the case. But the denial was thick. Um, and yeah, and then I, I realized that that I had a problem for sure. I knew I had had an eating disorder that I'm in recovery from. So I knew that was a problem, but the drinking I kind of justified to myself as just normal, especially cause I did drugs in college. So I was like, well, I'm not doing that anymore. And yeah, it, it was very scary and overwhelming. And I didn't think I had a problem. My parents didn't think I had a problem when I told them I was going to stop drinking. They told me that I was being dramatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was nine years ago and it's been an amazing journey. And um, I was, the, I mean, my biggest fear when I got sober was really that I wouldn't have friends and I wouldn't be successful. And I just feel like the exact opposite is true. I found such amazing community sober and it's like a part of my <laughs> career, which is really cool. So I'm Casey um, Davidson. I host the Hello Someday podcast. I'm a life and sobriety coach. Um, I work with clients one-on-one. I have an online course. And I stopped drinking seven and a half years ago when I was 40. So I was, you know, the woman climbing the corporate ladder, drinking a bottle of wine or more <laughs> a night while having a two-year-old and an eight-year-old. Um, so that was kind of where I was. I would come home from work, pick the kids up at after-school care, walk in the door and immediately open a bottle of wine while cooking dinner and then getting the kids their baths and then sitting on the couch after they went to bed and 
uh, often not remembering the end of shows and um, quote unquote falling asleep on the couch and my husband couldn't wake me up and then getting up at 530 and doing it all again and wondering why my anxiety was off the chart. Um, but I, you know, stopped drinking, not thinking it was going to be forever because it would have freaked me out too much. Started with a hundred day challenge, which was hard because I could never go more than four days. So I didn't think I'd do it. And yeah, seven and a half years later, I left corporate four years ago, started coaching full-time, started my podcast, and then met all these incredibly cool women, which is the best part. Yay. Okay. I'm Suzanne Warei. I am an influencer at my kind of suite, and I am the host of the Sober Mom Life podcast. I started as an influencer, and then I stopped drinking in January 2020. And I then became a sobriety influencer, not knowing what the hell I was doing. My drinking is a little bit different. So I was a party girl for sure in college and I loved it. I'm from Wisconsin. I went to school in Green Bay and it was like party central. Um, and I loved it, although I loved it and then I didn't and then I loved it and then I didn't. Right. And then as I got, as I turned 30, I got married, I had kids. I was really able to moderate alcohol with what I think we're told is, is success. Um, but it didn't mean that my shame around drinking went away. It actually got worse. And so I never, ever thought like I qualified for sobriety. I just didn't think it was for me. I didn't think that I would reap any benefits. I thought it would be a cage um, until I stopped drinking. And then the day I stopped drinking, so I had blacked out twice um, during motherhood. Once was when my first was a, a brand new baby. And then fast forward six years and the second happened the night before I stopped drinking. And I, at some point, had to have nursed my three-month-old baby, um, but I don't remember it. And so I was laying on the couch and like my full life was going on around me. And I just thought like, no, like this, I don't know what's on the other side of this, but I want to find out because I know where this leads. Like I have tried this. And so then, yeah, I just went on a quest and actually... So it was right before, obviously, COVID and the pandemic response. And that really helped me then because I didn't have to figure out like how to be social in drinking. I just kind of was able to hibernate and really like nourish myself. And I went on this like quest to find out what alcohol is and what it did to me and what life could be like without it. Um, I have never, ever, ever looked back and I'll be, yeah, it'll be four years in January. Thank you, yeah. guys. Um, I'm Jill. I host the Sober Powered podcast where I explain the science of how alcohol is affecting our brains and why it's so hard for us to realize that we need to quit. And I was inspired to do that because I used my education and career as justification for why I was different from other people and why I didn't have to mm -hmm. quit drinking, probably similar to you guys. And even though I was drinking every day and getting really drunk multiple nights a week, I still held it all together, which meant that I was fine. And it wasn't until my mental health started getting really bad that I started 
addressing it and thinking that I needed a change. But I held on to this idea that someday I'd be able to figure out how to moderate, kind of like you were saying, mm-hmm. Suzanne. And even though I had never had any experience moderating, I felt like eventually I would be able to learn how to have an off switch if I just practiced stopping once I started enough times. It was a very sophisticated <laughs> dream. And the mental health kept getting worse, which we'll probably get into later. And eventually I let it go. But when I quit, I did say forever. And I feel like that's what helped me the most. And I know that you almost never hear that. And the the advice is to do one day at a time, which I think is awesome, but I needed to save forever. So I would stop negotiating with myself Mm -hmm. and thinking, has it been long enough? Is it going to be different this time? And then I quit right before the pandemic and all the craziness. So I'll be four years sober um, in about six weeks from now. So less when everybody's listening to this. Um, but same, same with you, Suzanne, actually, I loved staying home because I didn't have to go to any more freaking happy hours. Cause I quit right before the holidays and there were so many happy hours and parties and drinking. And I used to go and cry Mm. because it was so stressful for me. And then we all got sent home and I'm like, this is awesome. I don't have to, I don't have to go to weddings that I was worrying about. I don't have to socialize with work people at the bar. So, but then it, it made it more stressful coming out of that too, with no experience, but um, my brain can't, those are our stories. My brain can't compute that it's been four years. I was like, I keep being like, why? That's not true. I know (laughs) that all of it's like a time warp that Mm -hmm. whole, that whole period. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And I feel like Casey and I both, our podcasts were quarantine projects because we started around the same time. I love that. That's awesome. Jill, I love the idea of you and me, like we didn't know each other then. And so you're a couple months ahead of me stopping drinking. So just like looking down, you know, and seeing like our journeys and it's in like completely different places. Totally. Do you know, um, Tommy, Laura, she wrote dry humping. She's on recovery. Our sobriety dates are like five days apart, which is New York city, different ages, different stories, different support paths. It just, it's sort of interesting. Like if you're out there picturing the world, like there's another woman different from Mm. you, exactly like you literally in the same place that you are. And you can connect with her like you never know where your sobriety is going to lead and who you're going to connect with. And then you'll start to tell your story and say, oh, like, holy shit, we're so similar. And I had no idea. I, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. So we're here for Sober October, obviously. So the first question that I have for you guys is, did you ever do one of those? Did you ever do it? dry July, sober October, dry January. And if you did, how did it work out? And if you didn't, why did you not do it? Amanda, I'm starting with you. I had a challenge from my therapist to not drink for 30 days in July. Um, I said I would do it. I did about two weeks because I like cut off the first half of July because I was like, it's 4th of July. It's my birthday. That doesn't count. (laughs) And then I had like friends that I was hanging out with like the last week of July and I lied and I told her that I did it. But I did, I think, about 10 days. Um, So, no, I didn't do it. I thought I I 
I also did it kind of, even though, again, it was only two weeks, I did it as like this way to prove that I didn't have a problem and that I could go back to her with evidence that I didn't have a problem. And a lot of it was really, I related a lot to what you were saying, Jill, about how you just thought you had to practice moderating. I really thought that too, especially because I was much more of a binge drinker. So I was like, it's only a problem when I'm binging. I'm not a daily drinker. It was very easy for me to justify. Um, And that's why I was like, I don't even need 30 days. I can do that. I've done that before, even though it's been probably like a few years since I've done that. Um, But yeah, I, I think it would have been a good exercise for me. And in hindsight, I think if I would have allowed myself to be more honest, I could have seen that not doing it and saying I was doing it was indicative of something. But I really thought I, I really thought I didn't need to and that I wasn't lying, which is, shows my mental state at the time. I kind of love that you're a therapist and you lied to your therapist because it makes oh, me the I like lied to my therapist all the time. Like, oh, you know, oh, yeah. How would yeah. you drink eh, a couple drinks, a couple, you know, a couple nights a week? I'm like. 40 drinks a week. (laughs) (laughs) It's so common. And it's, it's just such a, I just, yeah, it's such a thing. It's so hard because I think that we, not only do we lie to ourselves, right. But we also want the therapist to feel like they're doing a good job with us. (laughs) You're like, we're not going to be proud. Yeah. And don't therapists know we're lying too? Like a lot of the times, don't you kind of get it? Like you're like, hmm, I wonder if that's all the truth that they're selling. I'll give you you a peek behind the curtain in that if your therapist keeps acting like they're confused a lot, like they keep being like, hmm, I'm confused. Tell me this again. How did you only do this? Or you said this, but now you're saying that. That's... Typically, our way of being like, this isn't adding up. There's a big piece of the story missing. You know, we can tell by just, yeah, that. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. I love the peek behind the curtain. That's awesome. I know. (laughs) I know. I want more of those. (laughs) Amanda, when she challenged you to do those 30 days, I know you said that uh, you felt like you didn't need to do it, which that totally resonates with me, but were you scared of doing it? Like, did you have any anxiety about it or did you already know that you were going to kind of dance around it? I really don't think I had anxiety because I wasn't going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) You had no intention. No. (laughs) So I wasn't scared because I was just like, this doesn't count. Like, obviously my birthday, like my birthday's July 8th. So I was like, obviously the first 15 days of this doesn't count. And, and I really thought that my justification also was like, well, it doesn't matter when I do the 30 days. So like, she's just giving me the challenge to do it for July, but I could do it July 15th to August 15th. And that's fine. Even though I reported back to her on August 1st being like complete, <laughs> but <laughs> <don't me. laughs> so yeah, I think I was just that out of touch. <laughs> rationalize anything. Like when you're drinking, yes. you yeah. literally can rationalize anything. Yes. Yeah. I would have said the same though, like birthdays, you got to drink on your birthday. I mean, come on, that that does not count. 
Casey, did you ever do any of those um, like 30 day challenges, dry month things? No. And I think like I was a New Year's resolution girl, like every year I would make the exact same resolutions for like a decade. It was always like drink less slash get your drinking under control slash take a break. It was never stop drinking, uh, grow my hair out, stop biting my nails. Like for decades, it was like, <laughs> like basically become a better human being. Like that was my New Year's resolution. And I would not make it very far at all. I mean, I was, I was sort of a 365 nights a week drinker, unless I was trying to not drink consciously. So I was like, hungover on Christmas morning and New Year's Day and every job interview and, you know, all the things. So I would make the resolutions. I would write myself all the notes about like why I needed to get my life together. And then, you know how it goes, like four days, seven days later, I don't even think I ever made it two weeks. Um, I The one time I took a longer break was I did also, Amanda, like you, I went to a therapist for... I looked up, I looked him up specifically and was like, all right, he's anxiety and addiction. So I was like, awesome. I'll go in for my anxiety. He'll help me a little bit with this. And I was like, you know, my husband, my job, my life, my kids, and I drink a bottle of wine at night. And he was like, <laughs> let's talk about your drinking. And I was like, no, no, let's talk about my boss. <laughs> but he told me to stop drinking. And so I, I, you know, he was an AA guy. This was like a decade ago. He recommended I go to AA. It was kind of the only thing out there at the time. Mm -hmm. So I went, I joined an online group. I made it about four months, which was for me incredible and amazing. And then I got pregnant. And so I was like, I'm fixed. So I stopped going to all the meetings. I stopped counting. I did the slow shuffle back. And then I went back to drinking. So I never did. I did New Year's. I did moment of crisis. You know, go to your therapist because you seriously feel like your life is going to fall apart. And then I did the every three days I have to stop. This is going nowhere good. This is bad cycle. So those were my, I, I never did something so exciting as like sober October, but I wish I had. Yeah. I didn't know that those were a thing really. I feel like I was very isolated from the whole sober community. I thought that it was very shameful and that it was just a bunch of people who didn't want anyone to know and hid and went to AA anonymously and, and that, and now it's so cool. I mean, look at, look at Suzanne, like Suzanne, when I think of cool, <laughs> I think of She's giving us hilarious. I know. Right. I was like, well, I'm not cool. Um, I did, I did do sober October and it's so funny because it was my husband's idea. And, uh, he was so proud of himself for calling it oct sober. I don't, <laughs> right. And I That's don't know. One. I don't know. <laughs> I think this was like before, like sober October got like really big. So he was like, let's do oct sober. And I was like, what is that? And he was like, we're not going to drink. And I was like, okay. And we try to go to Miraval every October. And it's so funny now looking back because my complaint in sobriety about Miraval is that 
there's so much alcohol there and you know we're like cleansing our auras and like god forbid you eat some honey from the store and not from the miraval bees that are on property <laughs> that they like you know like and and there's like equine therapy and like it's just like every single part of you is taken care of but then it's also like no but drink wine obviously you're obviously gonna drink wine but we're gonna tell you where it's from and all this fancy stuff and uh and I hate that now in sobriety and I really can see that. But I went there during sober act, during our act sober. Um, and I remember it was instead of I totally did the thing of focusing on why aren't we drinking and like why? See, like I'm not even going to have a glass of wine at Miraval. How how could that be? And I just I remember that being like a sticking point and feeling like I was missing out and really focusing on not drinking rather than, you know, what, what else can we experience when we're not drinking? And I made it, I think it was 28 days. Um, and I drank because I met my mom in Madison to see Anne Lamott speak and we love her. And we drank a lot of red wine. And I remember thinking, like, oh, God, not really that I didn't make it the month, um, but that I had like fuzzy memories then of Anne Lamott. And she's and sober. Like, oh, like that's, right, that's, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that's her whole You're deal. Like, right? <laughs> that's like Anne Lamott, let me drink and shit let it wine. Yes, right. exactly. <laughs> and like we drank beforehand, like, like, and not like a crazy amount, right? But, but when I wasn't drinking that whole month, then I had, even if it was like three glasses of wine, I mean, I was like, you know, it was fuzzy. Yes. Yeah. And now I'm like, no, I've seen Anne Lamott talk but like it's very fuzzy and that to me felt very sad so I remember waking up the next morning being like oh shit I I didn't connect it I still I still did not connect it like sobriety is an option I just connected it like I have to drink in a more orderly fashion yeah. <laughs> like obviously I just I I haven't figured this out yet and I will mm -hmm. continue to try <laughs> Orderly fashion, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Drink like a lady, right? <laughs> right. Like obviously, everyone else knows the rules, and I just don't. Yeah. Oh my god! Right. One of my and best I, friends, her mom, um, her little sister, like came home just drunk as a skunk, and you know, denial is lovely, especially in some families. And she was like, oh, she was overserved. That's like it so happened funny. to her right, right, right she wasn't a participant <laughs> all the time it was crazy <laughs> like I was always over served <laughs> I don't know who was serving me right. even at home I was over served <laughs> even when I was by myself Jesus right <laughs> Jill what about Such you a euphemism <laughs> yeah uh, so I never did a dry month um I actually had a friend ask me if I would do dry January with her because she was also struggling and she wanted to be accountability buddies. And I was horrified at that request. <laughs> and I still feel bad about it. I told her no. And I don't think she did it because she didn't want to do it alone. So I totally ruined her opportunity to do 30 days. And... 
I just couldn't imagine not drinking for a month. I was like, why would anyone want to do that? How is that helpful? (laughs) I'm trying to moderate here. Like, why would not drinking be helpful in that? Um, But like Amanda said, I also received a challenge from a therapist, but it was for seven days. And while you were talking, I was thinking like, did she try to challenge me to a month and then we changed it? But I can't remember. But we did seven days. So it was basically like, don't drink for a week and then we'll come back next week and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And this was like two and a half years before I quit for good. So this was my very first dabble. And I thought like, okay, I can do seven days, not because I'm interested, but because if I do the seven days, then it means I'm not an alcoholic. So I'm, I'm okay to prove that point. And I actually had a good time not doing it for seven days. Like I found other things to do. And when I went back and told her I did not drink, I'm proud of myself. It wasn't even that hard. (laughs) And we both agreed that Um, I'm not an alcoholic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Unfortunately, she, she told me, I don't think you're an alcoholic. And then in my mind, I'm like, great. If the professional doesn't think I'm an alcoholic, then I'm good. Then I must not be. And I'll be able to figure it out. And then I was just like, okay. Being like, (laughs) oh, you feel so good. Why don't you do another one? Right, right. You're like, can I get that in writing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I just needed that little Mm -hmm. permission. And then I continued about my business for a while. I would not take another break. Uh, for like two years, almost like a little bit less than two years until I felt like I had to take a break because the suffering was so intense. But that little permission from her let me just go and go and go. And so I I also think it's sad that you guys lied to (laughs) a therapist, Amanda and Casey, because that's like my whole argument. I tell people that therapy is good accountability because you don't want to lie to them. <laughs> it, is. <laughs> it is good. So I, I personally found that therapy and Amanda, I am not the expert. Like once <laughs> I stopped drinking, therapy was hugely, hugely helpful mm. for me. What I think it was, I mean, I also think it was helpful when I was drinking, but I just didn't want my therapist to know how much I was drinking because I didn't want her to tell me to stop. So I minimized that and was like, oh, I have insomnia and my stress is off the charts. And we went around and around about like anxiety. <laughs> and I don't know why it's not getting better. But once I stopped drinking, I was really able to like take advantage mm-hmm. of therapy and get honest and find solutions. So that's I, I love therapy, too. <laughs> I obviously love therapy, too, as a therapist and as someone who still goes to therapy. I think it's interesting. I think there are people that can fall into patterns early in the like creation of the bond with a therapist where they want to present themselves as this way. Mm. And then it becomes this like trap that is hard to get out of. Yeah. So my recommendation is to start by calling yourself out early. Or if you struggle to be honest with a therapist, one of the best things you can do is say like, this is my pattern. I've done this before. Just so then the therapist has some wiggle room to kind of 
you know, hold the mirror up a little bit. Um, that was what really helped for me was I had to be like, look, I'm lying a lot. I'm so afraid of being judged, you know, all of that stuff. And once the seal kind of breaks and you can like talk about what's happening in the therapy room or what's holding you back from being honest, um, that's when like really deep work can happen with that. But it, it's hard. That's great. I once asked, yeah, I once asked my therapist to give me a grade. <laughs> like, how, <laughs> like, how am I doing? So would you give me like an A in therapy or am I more of like a B client? Like, <laughs> It's, it's a thing like when you want your therapist to like you, yeah. especially if you like and respect your therapist and like even in couples counseling, I would be like, so like, how do you, right. I'm like, so what do you think? How, how, you know, like if you had to tell us, like if you had to judge us on how we're, he's like, that's not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but do you like us? That's really what I'm asking. <laughs> like, do you like us? Oh my God. <laughs> Yes. So what yes. grade did you get? I did not. I did not get a grade. And I'm really, I still want to go back and ask. Like, I'm like, can I just get a report card, please? So I know where I stand. <laughs> I struggled a lot with wanting therapists to like mm -hmm. me too. So I'm glad that you mentioned that, Amanda, and that the therapist that challenged me to the one week, that was actually my first appointment. Mm. Oh, wow. And I think, Exactly what you said is it's easier if you just start with all of the stuff, because once you build that relationship, you're going to worry about them not liking mm -hmm. you anymore with what you have to say. So I just like I'm worried I'm an alcoholic. Can we talk about it? How do you know? I was looking for her to basically tell me whether yeah. I was or not. And unfortunately, she said I wasn't. But yeah. I think opening up with it in the beginning is so helpful. I struggled with that with um, my current therapist and my shameful drinking memories. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to tell her the worst yeah. ones because I was afraid it would change her opinion mm -hmm. of me. And I struggled for a really long time to tell the stories to her. And I don't, I mean, you, they're probably not going to tell you what their opinion of you <laughs> is. <laughs> I don't think that therapists are very judgmental, even though we worry that they will judge us. And it's always so much better to, when you leave and you you feel that relief that you said what you needed to say. Absolutely. I mean, the best thing that my therapist at the time had told me, it's such a funny story because I was telling her that I was really nervous about her judging me. She was in recovery and it like really inspired me to become a therapist and be open about being in recovery. And she was like, Amanda, I used to do crack. There's nothing you can say that will make me judge you. You're like, oh, like okay. you're like, you're my therapist. You're, yeah. you're hired. I do think that that's one of the reasons that, that it actually helps with with coaching that, you know, people have worked with me and they've been like, oh, I basically know you. And I'm like, oh, you do. You literally know mm -hmm. everything about me. But then they're like, oh, but I know you won't judge me because you get it, which mm -hmm. I do. You know, I get yeah. it. And also hearing someone's most shameful moments. I think like I, I hear this in our groups all the time. And like when someone tells me like what they're most ashamed of in their drinking past like that 
you have to be an asshole to yeah. judge them. Like, like that just to me bonds us so much closer. And like, I fall more in love with all of these women who are just so brave and vulnerable and like just showing up and being like, yeah, I, talking about our shame, you know, and that I think is, is where the connection and sobriety is. I feel the same way, Suzanne. Yeah. That's why we just talk about all the hard stuff. <laughs> So we've mentioned this kind of off and on that we had a lot of denial and that even though we had breaks, it still didn't get through the barrier of that we needed to stop drinking entirely. Amanda, what do you think like the biggest block for you was to realizing that your drinking needed to go? Um, I was young when I was questioning it. So I really think my age was the biggest barrier. I was like, I had just turned 24. I was all my, you know, I had friends who I like lived in the city. I had friends who had just graduated from college. I really had felt like I had such a miserable college experience because I was super in the depths of my eating disorder. I was like addicted to Adderall. Um, I left college really without any friends. I like destroyed all my relationships with my friends. So when my eating disorder got better and I got into recovery from it after college, I really felt like I deserved to live it up and like recreate my college experience in my twenties. Like I literally thought I deserved that. Um, so that was a huge thing for me because I was just like, I have the rest of my life to figure this out. I don't, you know, I don't drink every day. It's not really that much of a problem. I know, you know, other things are a problem of mine, but can't I just live a little? Can't I just have this vice? Um, and it wasn't until I, when I taught yoga drunk that morning, I was hit with this very big realization that because I had known like if I want to be a therapist, I can't have like an active eating disorder. So I was like clear about that. And then when I did that, that was so out of character for me. I didn't remember. I had this pretty big epiphany of like, oh, my gosh, if I keep doing this, I'm going to be like a drunk therapist. Like this is not going to work. Um, so that was like the big kind of epiphany for me that I think I was able to listen to because I had already been doing some of the like work with the eating disorder and had and like really wanted to be like it was really important for me based on you know the that I said that therapist I had she was in recovery and I really once I kind of saw that I had a problem I like couldn't unsee it and I was like I don't think I can be a therapist and still drink and and stuff so I didn't know whether I would stop drinking forever I didn't know what that would look like. Um, but yeah, I would say my age and just my experience with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big barrier for a lot of people when they're in their twenties, they feel like what you said, both that you're supposed to do it and that you have time. I think that we hear about a lot of people growing out of it in their early twenties towards their late twenties. So there's always the hope yes. that maybe you'll grow out of it someday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's something my husband even said to me, you know, I was like, well, you knew who you married, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. kind of like you, you got what you got into. We just celebrated yesterday, 21 years of marriage. So we have been together a long that's time. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got together when we were like 22, 23 and he was like, 
I kind of thought you'd grow out of it. Literally said that to me. I was like, oh, well, nope. (laughs) Um, I think what, what held me back most in the beginning was being like a red wine girl was so much part of my identity. Um, it like, I would introduce myself. I mean, not literally, but pretty close. Like I live in Seattle. I work in digital marketing. I'm married. I have two kids. I'm a red wine girl. I went to college in Maine. Like that was equal to the other parts (laughs) of me. Um, and so it was just, I bought into all the limiting beliefs that, you know, we've been conditioned to believe. So I thought that I would never have fun. If I didn't drink, I thought that I would be miserable. I thought that, um, I would just, I didn't think I'd lose my friends, but I thought when I hung out with them, it would suck. Um, I thought that like somehow it would hurt my job. Like if I stopped drinking that, people would see that I stopped drinking and then think I'm either not cool or they don't want to hang out with me or that I have a problem. And therefore I wouldn't get promoted, which is hysterical. Cause I was like going out to dinner with colleagues and like tripping and skinning my knee on the way home or like waking up brutally hungover, like, or like sharing shit and bitching about like the VP. So I'm like, Oh my God, if I stop drinking, that's going to be career suicide. Um, and my husband, I thought that, you know, he never wanted me to stop drinking. He wanted me to, what was it? Drink in an orderly fashion. See that? Yeah. Him, yeah. you know, like that was, he wanted that. He wanted me to drink in Italy and on a date night, but not pass mm-hmm. out on the couch, which is so adorable. Yeah. So <laughs> I just like, I did not know who I was going to be. Like it was so much a part of me that I was like, it was, it was like a metaphor for being fun, despite being a job, being a mom, you know? Mm-hmm. And Casey, I, when you were telling like the, the work stories, like I have to bring up when you puked in the cab. Stop. Oh, okay, stop. Stop. Okay, sorry. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> I, are we cutting that? How no. that about, oh my God. That was like, should I tell it? I was really waiting quick? for you to say, yeah. Yeah. Oh, damn it. Yeah. So I went down. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, this is so, I was like, oh my God, if I stop drinking, I, I won't get promoted. Um, I went down to LA for my company's um, entertainment business. So I was their director of marketing for entertainment. God knows how. No. Um, And, you know, you're in LA with all your colleagues. You go out to dinner, you go out drinking. It's super fun. It was before I had kids, which I'm not sure makes it better because I certainly did shit like this after. But, um, you know, first night, drank a ton, came into the LA office and was like, throwing up in the bathroom trying to throw up really really quietly because like what would people like you know when you wait till people leave the bathroom and then throw up in the oh, as a former bulimic I really <laughs> nice no just kidding um but that day we were going to visit we were doing customer visits with entertainment tonight and extra tv and like I was most concerned with not throwing up in the car to visit them because I was a puker the day after and 
then the next day, I, of course, went and drank a lot again. And I was taking a cab with a very straight laced director who was in like finance accounting. Um, <laughs> he was married and had a kid. He was clearly much more mature than I was. And we were taking a cab to LAX at like 8 a.m. And we were getting close, but it was like stop and go traffic. I started feeling <sighs> so sick, like just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was like rolling down the window, gulping air, had nothing. And right when we pulled up at LAX, I basically puked all over myself. And when I say basically, I did. And he was like, oh, my God. And the cab driver was like, what the hell? And I was like, um. <laughs> so the guy was like, I'll, I'll pay. <laughs> so I went to, the, I mean, I was so mortified. What can you say? Grab my bag. Yeah. In, the, in the trunk, I had my New York Times bag. I was like, where was this in the car? So I ran to the bathroom changed out of all my clothes, put it all in the New York times bag, sealed it up and like threw it in my roll away and like got on the plane. <laughs> but then I called my husband and I was like, do you think he's going to tell anyone like that? And he was like, you puked on yourself. I am pretty sure he's going to tell someone. And like, somehow that didn't bite me in the ass, nor did I consider that a low. I mean, I was like, you know, I talked to my mother and my sister and my sister said, this is why you never share cabs with anyone. That was her answer. And my mother said, um, you should carry those airplane throw up bags in your purse, which by the way, to this day I do. I've got an airplane throw up bag in like every purse I have, but you know, I oh did God. not think that was a reason to stop drinking. I even said to my husband, maybe he'll think I'm pregnant. And he was like, dude, you were so drunk. <laughs> Anyway. Oh my Thank God. You, I did not mean to call you out, but sorry. Up. I know. Sorry. Well, that it's so funny that the fallacy that we were like, no, if I, if I stop drinking, I'm not going to get promoted. <laughs> I was like, well, um, I think, so my barrier was always, I just did not think I was qualified. I, I, I thought that I didn't I thought that I hadn't lost enough to kind of have it make sense that I would stop drinking. I thought that I, you know, I, I didn't get a DUI. I, I did. I, my marriage was happy. My kids were happy. I there was no like outside like wreckage that was like a flashing red light to say, yeah, like this, this. So, yeah, from the outside, it, it looked like I. I just I, I just thought and now it sounds insane from where I sit, but I thought that it wasn't for me. And I also really did think that I had to go to AA. Like I thought that that was the only option. I didn't know this other world existed. I, I didn't know. I just didn't know. And so I imagined, you know, because I wasn't a daily drinker, because I didn't think about alcohol all the time, because I could I, I could go weeks or months, you know, without drinking. But it was kind of like Amanda, like then it would be a binge kind of more than a, it just wasn't a part of my daily life. And so then I thought that I would be like more tied to alcohol if I were to stop drinking it. And I thought that then I would have to like declare myself powerless all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't feel powerless all the time, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It just, I, it was all 
twisted in my in my head. And, and I've only come to realize that that's very common, I think, with women who are, you know, who, who have what would seem like success moderating or success drinking in an orderly fashion. But I didn't I just didn't know that I could con- like completely be free of it and still like reap the benefits of sobriety. So it wasn't just that I wouldn't drink alcohol, but like I would live this like full sober life. I I had no idea. From over here, it seems like you're saying that you thought giving it up would make you more chained to alcohol. Yes. Yes. Like it would be like, I remember feeling so bad for people who didn't drink because I thought that they were constantly white knuckling and Mm -hmm. and in a constant kind of battle against it. And I thought about how hard that would be since it's everywhere. Right. And I was like, God, I feel so bad for them. They must really be in this like daily struggle not to drink. And so then that just wasn't me. And I didn't want that to be me. Um, But I didn't realize that I was in a daily struggle thinking about alcohol and how to have it be in my life without being in my life too much, but being in my life just when I want it and not not overstep its bounds and all of the mental games that we play when we try to moderate. And so, yeah, I thought I thought it was I thought it would be a cage. So you thought everybody was just like you then, like they had the same experience with alcohol as you did? No, I thought I thought that the people who stopped drinking were like Nicolas Cage or Meg Ryan. Right. Like I thought like it was like, oh, obviously, obviously they have a problem with alcohol. Right. That's not me. And so if that's not me, then there's nothing to see here. What Mm -hmm. I didn't know is that alcohol is just a problem. Like alcohol is just a a problem. And so nothing to see here. (laughs) Yeah, that was so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I I thought that there were like two categories of people Mm -hmm. like alcoholics and the ones that it was very clear, like, of course, you need to stop drinking alcohol. And then. People who don't have to stop drinking alcohol. I didn't know that I could stop drinking alcohol. I love that that's changing. I really do feel mm-hmm. like it is. Yeah, I do. T- I feel like it's, yeah, we're catching, we're catching women. I, I, I think it's majority women who probably feel this way. I don't know. Maybe that's just because I'm not a guy and I talk with women all the day, all, all day, every day. But I think that we're catching women before they get to that point because you could, you could wait, right? Like you could wait until you lose more. Yeah. Like, I guess it's just how much are you willing to lose? I was really similar to you, Suzanne, where I thought that there were two categories, alcoholics and regular people. Mm-hmm. And if it, and the alcoholics, it was obvious, like you yeah. said. Um, but I think the difference for me was that I thought if I did quit, it meant I was one of those really bad alcoholics and that alcoholics didn't have, um, I'm just going to say it the way that I used to think it. (laughs) I, I thought that it was 
purely a choice and a weakness and something that only happened to losers and people let it happen to them because they weren't strong enough. And if I had to stop drinking, it meant that that was all me. And I didn't want any of that. I didn't want people to think that I was weak, that I can't control myself. So now I can never drink ever again, that I must be a loser, all of these things. And I fought so hard to moderate so that that didn't have to become my identity. Like Casey, you were talking about your identity of being a red wine girl, but I thought quitting meant I would take on this whole alcoholic stereotype identity and then everyone would associate that with me forever. So I didn't know that there were people, I mean, first of all, that's not very many people in that category and they're also not losers who let it happen to them um, or weak, but I was really convinced of that. So I fought really hard to not let that become me. And eventually I just had to give in. But that was my biggest block was uh, the stereotype and taking on that identity of what society thinks an alcoholic is. And what I is. love now is that I feel like I truly believe and more people are believing that like people who quit drinking are just badasses. Like yes. they're just gotten out of the Amen. trap and the, you know, the marketing and the addictive substance that we've been told that we're supposed to somehow keep in our lives and like you know, that's a yeah. pretty badass health and wellness choice. Yeah. Like we left the cult. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we, we are free from the cult. We're like Leah Remini. <laughs> free. <laughs> and drinking is like Scientology. <laughs> it took me a second to figure out who you were talking about. I was like, okay. what, what was that? I'm all about. <laughs> yeah. I'm all about 90s or early aughts pop culture. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you guys think helped you the most? When you first started, like if you if you had to reflect back, some of you have to reflect back further <laughs> than others. Yeah. But Amanda, if you have to look back all the way uh, into your first yeah. month, what do you think made the biggest difference for you? The biggest difference for me was community. It was so paramount to me, especially because I was young. So I, I mean, back then, like Instagram was so young. There wasn't like, I don't even know if there were hashtags on Instagram. Um, but I did have friends that were in AA and I didn't know whether I thought I was an alcoholic or not, but I was just like, I'm going to stop drinking and I'm going to go to meetings because this is where people are. And I'm just going to like follow these people around and like make it my social life. And that's like what I did. I like had one friend and then I was just like, what meeting are you going to? Where are you going to be? You know, she like worked at a recovery house. So I just like hung out at the recovery house with her and was just like there to kind of fill up my time. Um, and that was so like, I would not have gotten sober if I wouldn't have had if I wouldn't have known people my age ish who were doing it because I would have felt so isolated, I think just like sitting by myself. And the big thing for me, especially because I think there could have been a time where maybe I, I stopped drinking for six months or so. And I think because I was able to, cause I had had the experience of losing so much, like during college and like losing friends. And I was on that track already after graduating um, because of my drinking, it led me to be like, oh, I actually need to stay sober so I can keep these people 
in my life, which wasn't like authentic at first, but it was like what I needed to kind of be like, okay, well, so when I was like questioning it, or I was like, maybe I don't need this. It led me to come back to, well, like this is, this is now I have like friends. Now I have people and I want to keep coming to these meetings. I want to keep spending time with these people. I love that. That's really nice. And thinking about that, you want to keep them as friends and that if you go back I, I like that. I never thought of it that way. Thank yeah. You. I mean, it's really cool and interesting. Like just how, I mean, I met a lot of my best friends all in the program. Like there's like a group of us. We're still all like best friends. Like my maid of honor was the first person I called when I was like freaking out about whether I, I was, you know, that day <laughs> after Labor Day and stuff. Um, so we're still really close. And we all still don't drink, you know, not all of us stayed in the program necessarily. Um, but yeah, it's really cool because the longer also you stay sober, especially when you see young people, a lot of people come in and out, people die, like people don't make it, you know, and people definitely relapse. So it's like pretty miraculous that so many of my friends, we all have around like the same amount of time. We all came in around similar times and we've all stayed friends. Casey, what do you think helped you the most in your first yeah, month? Yeah, I mean, I needed someone to hold my hand. I needed like a reason to draw a line in the sand and just stop rationalizing. Um, should I, shouldn't I drink? Is it a big deal? Should I start on Monday? And I needed someone to like, you know, like horses have blinders on just like keep me really, really focused. So I had been, I had been a member of online Facebook groups of people quitting drinking for a very long time. You know, when I was drinking, I would go silent. I would occasionally pop up and be like, all right, I'm doing this. And then go (laughs) silent again. Um, And I tried AA like three years before for a while, but what, you know, I had plenty of lows that I should have, you know, um, should have been that moment that weren't, I don't know, throwing up on myself. That could have been one, but nope. (laughs) Um, You know, so um, basically I woke up at 3 a.m. one day. I was on the same Facebook group I'd been on for like three years. Someone was posting about day one again. Someone in the comments recommended a sober coach. And I just went into work that day at 10 a.m. and signed up. Um, that was my last day one, which is crazy. Um, but, and that night I wanted to drink and four days later I wanted to drink. And 16 days later, I was like in tears, so angry that I wanted to drink, but I'm also a gold star girl. Like you, Suzanne, like I am a people pleaser. I want that a, so I was like, I'm going to be the best freaking sober coaching client ever. I'm not going to like call her and tell her that I drank. Like I, I needed that external accountability. I needed her to get, you know, on my first call, I was like, here's what I'm worried about. I'm going to Venice with my family, like Italy. I'm a red wine girl. And she's like, all right, all right. When is that? And I'm like four months from now. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, all right, let's talk in three and a half months. Like, <laughs> um, but I needed that. Um, but once I got going, I did meet some of my very, very best friends um, in online Facebook groups. We all have sort of like we're sober litter mates. Our dates are right around the same time. And once they became very important in my life, I did think 
if I go back to drinking, I'm going to lose these friendships. And it might not have been them. It probably would have been me like pulling away and being like, I don't deserve to be friends with them or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, I think women who've quit drinking are like the coolest and so funny and so real. And um, yeah, that was also a big motivator as I kept going. I love sober litter mates. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like the cutest. Like you guys are all like litter mates. <laughs> yeah, that's so cute. Also, the idea of the what ifs, like the Italy trip, like that's coming and stuff. I have like so many women in my group are like, well, what if like, you know, what if I can't drink when I go to Italy, Italy or like for my daughter's wedding? And I'm like, well, when is she getting married? Yeah. And, she, and they're like. She's two. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> like, we got time. We're fine. Um, I, so when I quit, I, it was like right before the pandemic. So community was kind of out of the question. I didn't even know about any sort of online community. I would say now that is what helps me the most. But right away, I dove into every quitlet uh podcast i mean everything i remember getting to a point that i was like there are no more quitlet quitlet <laughs> books like how are the how have i reached the end and by women like amanda yours like uh, like i had reached the end of the line of quitlet and i was like can we get more <laughs> quitlet books because this is what's helping me and like i just i really did I mean, all day, every day. So I had, I had a three month old, I had a two year old and I had a five year old and we were in the pandemic. And so it was just me. My husband was still working. And so I was also going crazy. And in order not to go crazy, I had one AirPod in like all day long and I was <laughs> listening to all quitlet. And yes, when I was like playing with my kids and I use that very loosely because I hate to play with my kids. Um, <laughs> Like, let's normalize mom's not playing. I'm laughing because I'm like, yep, yep. Uh, oh, my God. Like Barbies or, oh, my God. And then I always do it wrong and whatever. <laughs> well, they're so uh, micromanaging. I'm like, what oh, my the God. Hell? They're so controlling. And I'm like, then you do it. I don't even want to be doing this. But, like, arts and crafts I'll do, you know, like, we'll go for bike rides and stuff. But I am not playing um so I would just be I would be listening it was a lifeline and I like when I quit I didn't know anything about alcohol I didn't I, I was I'm a gen x girl so I grew up this is your brain on drugs like and that's mm -hmm. the fried egg like I thought alcohol was fine I didn't know anything about it and so then yeah that was like my that was my quest and my favorite, favorite part of the day was when I could after dinner, after we all ate, my husband would take the kids upstairs and get them ready for bed and I would clean our kitchen and like cleaning our kitchen and listening to, you know, podcast or quitlet like was my it was like my sanctuary and it was my time that I could like really like closing up our kitchen for the night felt very like nourishing to me and my family. It was like, it felt really good because I knew that when I got up in the morning, like my coffee would, I would just have to push a button and like, it would be all ready and there would be no debris from the day before. Like it would be a very fresh start. And so it felt really good to me to do that. Um, yeah. And that just became, I still do it. 
I, I still do that. That's like my time. Um, and I still listen to a lot of stuff. I, I now I go back to true crime too, yeah. <laughs> because there's nothing like a good murder. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I want to hear Suzanne, what your favorite Quitlet book was from early, early oh sobriety. My God. So I really liked, of course, I liked Amanda's. We've already talked about oh, that. I, I really did. I, so I, yes, yes, I love. Not I drinking tonight, book. you guys. Not should drinking tonight by Amanda E. White. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get no, the show notes. We're not just saying that. It's really, really no, good. no. It's oh, it's amazing. Um, I really loved. I mean, of course, I loved Quit Like a Woman and We Are the Luckiest, but I really loved Blackout mm, by Sarah Heppel. Me too. Like. Yeah, okay, it is was, on my list. If anyone hears this, I want to interview Sarah Heppola yes. on my podcast. So if anybody oh. knows her, I have one contact yes. who I think knows her. But oh, good. Um, you know, have you right reached on, out on Instagram? Is she on Instagram? No, but I need to because that book was yeah, huge in early. That's how I, yes, yes. It's it's. I, I'm just I, putting it out in the universe. Okay, moving on. Okay, I love blackout. Manifest, manifest. <laughs> I love it. Um, that one was really. It was. It's just beautifully written and the imagery and, and blackouts as I was a blackout drinker in college. And so I really like she really got to the heart of what it feels like to blackout and really taught me about blackouts and that people just kind of are blackout drinkers or you're not like the biology in it mm -hmm. and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I loved that one. Good. All right, Jill, what helped you? I was like Suzanne, where I just started devouring everything, reading all the books, listening to all the podcasts. Um, the podcast that helped me the most was Craig Beck's show, The Happy Sober Podcast. He also wrote Alcohol Lied mm. to Me. I'll manifest it too. I've tried to get him on <laughs> manifest sober powered and he doesn't, he has not responded to me. Anyone knows Craig Beck? Over the past yeah, that's right. Jill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> please. Um, but he helped me the most in the beginning and I really isolated myself. I didn't know that there was very much community beyond, uh, Facebook, but what I did was I just started learning about it. Like I said before, I, I thought that I would be taking on this identity of a weak world loser with no self-control. So I wanted to understand, is that true? Or is something else going on? So I just started educating myself and reading about why this happened to me. And I learned like, I think one of the first things I learned is why I woke up at 3am with anxiety. Mm. And then it was like, wow, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't just me. And the more I learned, the more it helped me let go of that identity and and feel better about sobriety and like it wasn't this life sentence of doom that meant everyone was going to judge me and not invite me to things. Um, and yeah, so I think understanding why this happened and why I drank the way I did is what helped me the most. And if you guys could think about one like quick little nugget of advice for anyone listening who is they're wanting to start sober October, but maybe they're nervous about it or they're excited about it. I feel like there's two different reactions that can happen when you think about it. Um, Amanda, what would you say to someone who's getting started right now? I would say regardless of which camp you're in, treat it like an experiment and just really come from 
curiosity rather than shame or judgment. Like it's just data collection and you can learn a lot about yourself. Maybe you will go back to drinking. Maybe you won't. Um, but I think too many people come at it like a challenge, like white knuckling that we've kind of all talked about rather than being open to like, this is a really interesting experiment that can show you a lot about yourself and your relationship with alcohol. Casey, what would you say to someone who's getting yeah, I started? I love what Amanda said, because I love the idea of curiosity and noticing and noticing the good and the bad. Like you were saying, Jill, you were like, oh, yeah, it wasn't even that hard. I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to go back to drinking. Um, <laughs> my biggest piece of advice, because there is, quote unquote, Sober October, and it is a thing, like tell everybody. Mm. I mean, people mm. always talk about their like, I'm training for a 10K, like, you know, I'm, you know, got a new Peloton, whatever it is, like, be like, I'm doing sober October, I'm doing 30 days with no alcohol, tell your workout friends, your work friends, your best friends, your spouse, no shame, just be like, yeah, I'm doing a health challenge. That accountability is huge. Hmm. Yes, I think all, both of those are amazing. Also, I I would try to avoid the countdown trap mm. because I think then you really are missing. Um, uh, you're kind of missing the point, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're spending sober October counting down to when you quote unquote can drink again, I think that you're really allowing alcohol into sober October and it's kind of living in the shadow of alcohol and and that's it is you're you're missing the magic i always say like and and i think 30 day challenges are great and any break you give your mind and your body from alcohol is amazing but i i think that it can be like i'm a runner and so these 30 day challenges are kind of like the first mile of any uh. race. And like the first mile, if you're a runner, you know that it doesn't matter if I'm running three miles or if I'm running a marathon, that first mile, everything in me is, is saying, stop, this sucks. You don't have to do it. This is horrible. This is why are you doing this? Um, it, it's just, you have to get into your stride and you have to get used to it. And so sometimes I consider those 30 day challenges, like you're doing the first mile over and over and over again, and you never get to see the glory. And like when those endorphins kick in in a run, when you feel like, oh, I could run forever. Mm. Like that's why we run. I would never want to run one mile over and over and over again. I love that, Suzanne. That was really nice. I don't yeah. run, so I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I, well, I think because when you think about like the mile challenge in like school, you know, like uh -huh. we used to have that. I'm like, oh, I hate it. I skipped course. that. That is like, that's, that's a way to make a whole generation hate running because uh -huh. that is the, the, the mile is the worst. In field hockey, we used to have to do the time mile like every single week. And I kept going to my coach like, why do we need to compete? She was like, get out. Because <laughs> I was always like, like way in the back. Yes. The fr I, I hate the first mile of every single run. <laughs> and I think it could be like the first because I'm not a runner, but I really love to work out. And to me, like the other rate right, is like it's the first 10 minutes of a workout. Yes, yes, like whenever I'm yes. like 
I I always want to stop. I always say to myself, okay, do 10 minutes. And then if you hate it, you can stop. But I don't really ever do that because you get into it by then. Totally. Yeah. Your brain catches up and your body starts like you work out the kinks and you start to feel comfortable. And then you're like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy for doing this. Yeah. I will add, you guys kind of covered what I was thinking, um, but I will also add change up what you do. I think that a lot of people, we quit drinking and we try to just not drink, but then we end up sitting around watching TV every night in the same seat that we used to drink in, or if our spouses or friends or family members drink, Mm -hmm. we sit around and watch them drink all weekend. Um, That's going to be very triggering and that's going to make you feel FOMO and it's going to make you feel like sobriety is boring. So I would encourage you to change your routine. In my very first month, I stopped watching TV completely and I didn't go in my living room Mm -hmm. at all because I used to just sit there and get drunk every night. So just go somewhere else, sit in a different room in your house and watch Netflix on your computer if you have to, but change up your routine. Don't feel like removing alcohol is the only Mm -hmm. thing that should be changing in the month of sober October or, um, into like, um, nineties things. So Lindsay oh, yeah. Lohan movie, like, I'm not sure Socktober is going to be a thing. Like you might yeah. need to stop. Trying to make fetches. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I'll stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> this was amazing ladies thank you so much um this was really fun to to record this all together amanda if we would love to connect with your work and learn more about you where can we do that you can follow me on instagram or tiktok at therapy for women um you can find my podcast it's called recoveredish or if you're interested in therapy, my practice is called uh, Therapy for Women's Center. And um, you can find us at therapyforwomencenter.com. And you have an amazing book. I do. I do. <laughs> I have, you can find all this on my website, too, which is amandaewhite.com. But I have a book called Not Drinking Tonight. And I also have a workbook companion for it, which are independent of each other uh, by the same name. Very cool. Thank you, Amanda. Casey, where can we learn more yeah, about your work? Yeah, the best place to find me is my website, hellosomedaycoaching.com. Um, there I've got a free 30-day guide, so 30 tips for your first month alcohol-free, and a free hour-long masterclass on secrets to quitting drinking, even if you've tried and failed before. Um, you can also find me wherever you listen to podcasts at uh, hellosomedaypodcast.com. Sarah, or whatever. Hello, Sunday podcast. <laughs> anyway, and I follow Amanda and Suzanne and Jill on Instagram and get tons of inspiration from them. Thank you, Casey. Suzanne, where can we connect with so you? The best place is mykindofsweet.com. That was my like OG uh, influencer and I still have it. Also, my kind of sweet Instagram is where I share my full sober life. So you'll see everything there. And then the Sober Mom Life podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a membership called the Sober Mom Life Cafe, um, where you get to connect with just the loveliest women on the internet who are all examining their relationship with alcohol and finding freedom in sobriety. And we would love to have you. 
Thank you, Suzanne. And if you want to connect with me, uh, my podcast is Sober Powered. That's where my best stuff is. And my website, SoberPowered.com is kind of the hub. You can find all my resources on there, join my community, learn more about the brain and stuff like that. (laughs) And thank you guys again for doing this. I really appreciate you showing up on a Saturday in your black tank (laughs) Next time, next time I'll I'll, I'll get the memo. (laughs) Thank you, Jill. Yeah, this was awesome. Super fun. And now I'm going back to bed. (laughs) I know. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you in our own respective podcasts <laughs> in the future. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. I am very excited. You guys, it's like a dream team episode. You know, there's been Michael Jordan and uh, Scottie Pippen and who is the, no, there's four. Hold on. (laughs) Wait, I did not think this through. (laughs) What are a dream team? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? No. (laughs) I was thinking I could just rattle off basketball players. I don't know. Who's a four dream team? Backstreet Boys? No. NSYNC, there's five. All right. Well, first came... (laughs) No, that's not going to work. Oh, my God. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.